You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I'm Blake Murphy 7, the co host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. And we're here with our second episode of the week here to talk about, we'll preview the Saints game as well as look at um, just some of the possibilities for the Cardinals. Is there anything to be had on the trade market, whether to trade players away or to make acquisitions that are set? We'll talk about that as well as also discuss just a little bit of some of the idea of the Cardinals making their move with Cliff Kingsbury, with some of that move after Steve Wilkes, how some of the culture has been changed and a little bit at least of talking and breaking down what Kyler Murray has accomplished so far in his career. But before I go any further, uh, don't want to go on without um, making sure I greet my co-host, the venerable John Venerable, on Twitter, at Johnny Touchdown. John, how are you doing, sir? Hey, Blake. I'm good. Good to be with you folks today. Thank you for listening to our second pod of the week as we preview the upcoming, suddenly interesting, intriguing game against the New Orleans Saints hosting the Arizona Cardinals, a battle between two teams with non-losing records. How many weeks we can say that? I'm not sure, but we're going to pub <laughs> that up this week. The Cardinals exactly. go in to New Orleans, 500 for the first time in two-plus seasons, which is, uh, goodness, that's uh, that's saying a lot. I don't think they've been above 500 since 2016. Um, so I'm excited. Yeah. I, I, I'm hoping for a competitive game and let the chips fall where they may. But, um, yeah, Kyler Murray in a dome, sign me up, Blake. Yeah, it's good to be able to look at what uh, what this game means for the Cardinals at this point. Now that they're 3-3-1, three, three you're talking about an awesome measuring stick for the team. Because the Saints are one of the NFL's elite teams right now. They, I believe, have only... I want to say one loss on the season. They're only ranked behind the San Francisco 49ers. They've also played some tougher teams and have not missed a beat without Drew Brees, who is looking to practice this week. He said he's eyeing a week eight return. Um, I have honestly no idea, John, if that will be the case or not, considering that immediately following this week is the Saints bye week. That, to me, would indicate that there's a maybe you could almost even argue better chance of having him rest for an extra two weeks versus one, but Hey, I'm not the coach. And if breeze is good to go, then that's just going to be a, uh, another measuring stick for this team because you, you can't, you know, hit all of the lucky breaks, I guess. Um, I did want to at least talk a bit. I wanted to double check and see at least when the last time the Cardinals were over 500 as it were, um, believe that you are correct that the last time that the Cardinals were over, Oh, gosh. Cardinals haven't been over 500, I believe, since technically 2015, but that's only due to the fact that this is the second time that they've actually had a 3-3-1 uh, three, three, start to the year in the past few years. In 2016, you had a critical game against the Seattle Seahawks, the game that ended in a 6-6 um, six, six tie. Cardinals didn't end up getting back to 500 through the rest of that season, finished 7-8-1. So in that regard, at least, John, it's, uh, again, this is a big step forward for the team we haven't seen since the likes of the magical 2013, 14, and 15 season. So, um, yeah, it's good to be able to get in and talk a bit about Cardinals. It's good to be a fan of 
uh, a winning team again if you were a fan who essentially had given up there was a lot of comments i saw from people saying this team is going to go 0 15 and 1 then people like all right well they got one lucky one now they have a second now we're talking about them being able to stack wins and putting together a bit of an identity so in that regard john do you think this is a cardinals team that should be aggressive at the trade deadline of trying to add talent is this where this team has got a chance to you know make a playoff push or do you think this is more of a you know still treat it as a learning building year hold back don't push all of your eggs into the basket just yet i would probably lean with the latter especially considering just who they're playing in the division right now we haven't even gotten to the divisional games and you had kind of a slow start to the year would seem to indicate that i, I don't think that they're there just yet but what are your thoughts on that john yeah, I think I'm with you to an extent, Blake. I think that, you know, if the market doesn't get too skewed, and I think we've seen it get skewed with the receiver price, uh, second for Mohamed Sanu, a third and a fourth for Emmanuel Sanders, if the Cardinals are, are targeting and able to find a player that can add to some depth on the team that they can look at beyond 2019, I think, you know, go for it. If you've got a sense of urgency to add maybe another corner or a defensive lineman, or, or even an inside backer, do that. But I think that, I'm, I'm with you, Blake, do not give up premium draft capital by any means to think that you have any kind of aspirations to make the postseason. It's just, it, unfortunately, it's not going to happen this year. The Cardinals could very well lose out. We don't know that. But at the same time, uh, I think we want to be careful because we don't want this team to feel like the, they're being abandoned. We want them to feel like they're being rewarded for their quality of play. Let's say you know, they're eight and a half point dogs. Let's say mm -hmm. they beat the Saints in New Orleans this weekend or suddenly four, three and one. It's like, well, what do you do with the deadline? You've won four straight. You've got a lot of momentum. You've got glaring holes. Do you try to address them uh, again? I think the only scenario that I could see of this team adding any any kind of not significant pieces, but pieces of note, like, you know, Leonard Williams is available from the New York Jets. He's going to be a free agent this offseason plays a position the Cardinals need. That's the five technique on the defensive line. If they wanted to, say, get a jump on the start of free agency and say, we're going to bring him into our building, into our culture for the next three months, see how he fits in with Vance Joseph. Let's give up, you know, a fourth or a fifth. I, I, I'd be open to that. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I don't think that's likely. I don't, I don't see that happening. I don't know, you know, if they've had discussions or anything like that. That's just a name that I threw out there based on a position of need. Um, if there's a secondary piece, a corner piece that, you know, the Cardinals are unfortunately do not have a surplus of any position to be able to deal from. And so without making them significantly worse. So again, I think that we should just be thankful for the, for the quality football that we've seen really over the course of the entire season, even when they were losing games outside of really the Seattle game, they had really put together, you know, quality outings where you were entertained and engaged well into the fourth quarter. So I think, that's all I asked before the season and anything better than that was great. But I think we have to keep the big picture in mind and that is 2020 and beyond and making a playoff push next season and having Super Bowl aspirations when you string together multiple off seasons like you had this year, the Cardinals found you would think their franchise quarterback, their head coach of the future. They added some nice pieces. Now do it again and again and again, and then build a, a consistent contender don't waste resources now outside of a day three pick, because in my opinion, those are lottery tickets. Don't waste resources now being short-sighted when you know very well, goodness, it's it's going to be tough to overtake any three of those teams in your division. San Francisco hasn't even lost yet. So 
Um, it would get me excited for sure. Uh, I love the the trade wins. Uh, I love the activity in the NFL. I'm glad it's a part of the landscape where for so long, if you if if you've been a fan as long as we have, it was in an active period, and they've really kind of surpassed even like Major League Baseball now. Um, and so it's great for the sport. I think the Cardinals will play a role at some point in the coming years. Kime has been close to deals in years prior. He tried for a pass rusher in 2015, couldn't get one. Um, so I, I think that just wrong team, wrong year, check back in, in 2020 at the deadline. Yeah, the the needs for the team that we've seen overall, like we talked about, should the Cardinals make a move to acquire a tackle like Trent Williams is one of the conversations we talked about. Um, credit the Cardinals staff and also credit DJ Humphreys. His um, grade obviously improved. I believe he had a pass blocking grade in this game of 88 or so, which on a hundred point scale is very impressive. Unbelievable. Like it's unreal. almost borderline elite. Now I don't know if that's just a testament to what was going against him. Sometimes you always look at that. Maybe the fact that it was in the rain, but there's been enough of this progress stepping forward that maybe this is uh, potentially turning the corner at his part of the career. There's still obviously concerns about the overall long-term health. I mean, they were resting him, obviously, through times in camp. And he's never been on the injury report or has been nicked up, at least to his credit. So hopefully that is the case. I know you and I have talked about the belief that the Cardinals would probably be much, much more likely to um, extend DJ Humphreys, and, or at least in looking at a short-term sort of deal versus letting him walk just out of perhaps the need of the situation and also out of um, – just the I guess you could say the desire to want to hit on a first round pick at least for the future the interesting thing though John is if his play like this keeps up and he keeps end up playing a lot of these games it almost gets to a point of if you're the Cardinals and you know whatever the medical history was I don't know if there's an aspect where if he's going to you know say oh no no I'll hit free agency see what the market bears and maybe you end up having a team that's desperate for a tackle that and I was able to outbid you on the free agent market more than you may be willing to. That would be one thing that will be something to watch. Or maybe, you know, we end up coming back a week later. Humphrey starts having, you know, knee acting up. You see the backup going. We, we really don't know at this point. And that's what's nice is that we at least have a full season to be able to, um, to be able to figure this out. And for me, in that regard, I don't think there's a desperation type of player where you're going to need where you may talk about like if Kyler Murray is going to be like, you know, ruined like a quarterback, if this certain player is not addressed for the Cardinals. Now on the other side of that, as far as for when it comes to trading away picks, trading away talent, uh, at least for trying to stockpile for the future, we've talked a lot about Patrick Peterson. A lot of fans have asked about him. Some are in favor of some are saying, no, why would you ever want to do that? Um, we, we had kind of a little bit of news that broke on Sunday morning, and you actually, to your credit at least, we had a, kind of a discussion at least in the direct messages where um, you were actually aware of the reports um, a couple of days before it happened. We heard that the Cardinals had been offered a first-round pick and Nelson Aguilar for the services of Patrick Peterson. Steve Kime at least said no, which I think for the most part, most any Cardinals fans would believe that Peterson would be worth more than that. There's some who maybe would say to take the first round pick, but as far as Aguilar is concerned, we did get to see in that Sunday night game kind of a critical, almost you could even say effort drop where he had no idea where the ball was on a deep pass. He could have laid out for it, just did not. It would not really be any type of an asset to really add to this team. It feels almost like a dump off, and the Eagles are looking to probably get rid of a first round pick while they've got a window that needs to be Uh, satisfied they just did pay Carson Wentz they've got a really 
good. I believe it's his run-stuffing defense. They just don't have a good pass defense there yet. There's a couple other corners that obviously are floating out there, like Chris Harris or so. Broncos seem to be sellers now. But then it kind of gets back to the question, John, of do you think that the Cardinals will potentially move on from Patrick Peterson by the deadline? And the second follow-up question, should they? I'll take some of your thoughts now. Yeah, you and I had an exchange Wednesday morning of last week, um, which was um, before the Bleeding Green Nation tweeted out that the Cardinals uh, had dialogue with Philadelphia. They did. They've been in discussions with Philadelphia, or they've been communicating. They've made trades. Yeah, they're, they're, the, taking, they're taking calls is one yeah. thing that we know of for Philadelphia. You're always going to take calls. And they made tra- Howie Roseman and Steve Kime have made trades in the past. Um, and so they, you know, they have familiarity with that front office kind feels comfortable dealing with them. But at the same time, that was more, uh, I, I think more of a feeler call, especially when the Eagles knew that the Jalen Ramsey market was not to their liking. Uh, the Eagles offered a first and a second for Ramsey. And then of course we're trumped by LA. They pivoted to Peterson. Uh, they offered, I know this, they offered Peterson, they offered to the Cardinals their first round pick in 2020 and a receiver that we are assuming is the former first round pick in Nelson Aguilar. Um, mm-hmm. I was told it was a, it was a, just a blanket statement of a first and a receiver. And we put, you and I, Blake, put the, the dots together. Yeah, it had to be him. And Aguilar, very much a throwaway pick because he's a free agent at the end of the year. And then you saw his effort against Dallas uh, on Sunday night. So really kind of torpedoed any value he had. So you, you'd essentially, it was a first round pick for Patrick Peterson. Um, and then you get a look at a, a free agent receiver you may or may not have interest in. Um, mm-hmm. And they declined. And then they have, I, I don't know uh, if they've had any continued dialogue. I do know that the, the Cardinals probably now with the, the positive momentum of this team. Now that could change Sunday against New Orleans, but really Peterson coming back, playing well against the Giants, having a critical sack, forced fumble to, to basically seal the game for them um, and kind of reinvigorating the, the swagger the defense needed. I don't, I don't think they're going to deal him. I think the time to deal him was last year, last offseason the beginning of this year but then the suspension happened and that, that kind of skewed his market to some degree um n- not to say that they could have gotten two first form like like ramsey did with um with la and jacksonville peterson's much older and now he's got the pod ped uh substance on his record um what i will tell you is that he's going to be around until the end of his contract and then they're going to play it by year um i do think probably they end up getting something done as in terms of an extension now because they, the, the team, we talk about it all the time, Blake, they have mm-hmm. low self-esteem and seeing star players that they've, you know, molded, go and have success elsewhere. Anquan Bolden comes to mind, now Calais Campbell. They they know Peterson's probably head of the Hall of Fame, and they want him to be a, a Cardinal for life. And, yeah. and you got to see life without Patrick Peterson. You get one game with him back with the Giants, and suddenly you're like, oh boy, we really missed you. And that was even what Steve Kime, the, the joke that they've had at least, it's almost kind of like the baby comeback, the type of um, the, the, the longing at least because you got to see what the impact he made. And, and it's also an aspect of, you know, he's going to be around for a few more years playing at a high level. Um, you'd prefer it to be with you. And that's part of where uh, the only case where you would move on ultimately is if Peterson was unhappy with the situation, decided he wanted to move on from the right. team. Like that last you year, he demanded, he demanded a trade. And then I was just about to say like last, like Jalen Ramsey was holding the Jags hostage was like, uh, 
basically telling them I can't play, I'm injured, but they knew he wasn't and was sitting mm-hmm. out games uh, and was faking an injury and suddenly came back and was traded to L.A. and forced their hand. Peterson hasn't done that to the Cardinals. He's older. He, he, he got the PED suspension. And also, I think you just made a great point, Blake. He demanded that trade last year when they had hit rock bottom. They're, they're playing better now. You would think this offseason, barring something unforeseen, this team is going to be picked by a lot of folks as the team on the rise, like the San Francisco of last year or this year or whatever, the team that turns it around and, and gets their, their mojo going again. If, if you pay Peterson what the market dictates, he's going to stay in Phoenix. They're not a dumpster fire. They're not Washington. They're not Miami. They're not – they're rebuilding kind of on the fly with an, an entertaining fashion with Kingsbury and Murray. So I the landscape of this team probably has earned his respect. Um, I'm, I'm sure Murray has. I'm sure he's, he's impressed like we all are with Kyler Murray. So – Completely different scenario. I was just pro trading Peterson last year when you could get could have gotten probably two first round picks max value for him when the team was clearly at rock bottom. Now you're digging yourself out of that to some degree. And, you know, Kime said it best. He's like, why am I trading away one of my best players in the peak of his career if we're going to try to win? And, you know, that's I don't know how you feel about that, Blake. That's something I can't argue with right now with the way the team's playing. Yeah, there's positive emotion that comes when you're able to see a team win like that. There may be negatives. Um, obviously, things can change. We've seen it happen. The standout thing that you look at, obviously, is that you look at the talent. That's the case of Peterson. You look at the fact that the Cardinals between him and Chandler Jones on defense do have at least a window of some of these star players. And um, there's going to be probably some regret of seeing Calais Campbell and Tony Jefferson walk away as something that we also discussed last week. I don't see there being honestly a true negative, even if you were going to argue. And let's say that, assuming the Cardinals decide to say yes, they trade away, get Nelson Aguilar on a first-round pick, you're still talking about essentially being able to invest into the team's future, having a guy in Byron Murphy, whatever identity you'd want to build. I think that you're at least confident enough that your main foundational pieces are in place that if you have to, you know, give away one foundation of the house to try to see if you can add another one, I think that you're okay with it. Now, it still is obviously having to take a risk, and part of what I think the case is going to be with Peterson is he's always going to be questioned or brought up in trade discussions until the point the Cardinals can sign him to an extension. Then you're going to be looking at him as the same way people view Jadavion Clowney, where he was under the franchise tag eventually was not really in talks as far as a long-term deal. Um, that'll be one of the stories I think of the off season, but you're not seeing it again. Like we said, the question was, Hey, is Peterson going to come back and play as hardest? Like he's playing for a new deal. Is he going to, Oh, Peterson's we're going to work him back into the off into the defense. I should say uh, slowly. They won't play maybe this week against the giants in the rain. And then you turn it into another Jalen Ramsey situation. Um, we have not seen that yet, and I do think part of it that I want to tap on, John, is the uh, the trust and faith that's in this team and this coaching staff that I believe was missing from uh, the previous one. Um, we had some comments, at least, that came out from post game with Patrick Peterson where they asked him about what he was looking forward to with his team and defense and kind of saying without saying, he said, I'm going to kind of leave it at that, but uh, I really am happy to be back to playing some of the press man coverage that I was doing previously, which essentially, obviously, is a shot at Steve Wilkes without, you know, you, you throw him under the front bus of the tire versus, you know, run over him four or five times like you had the opportunity to. But it still shows that he was not a, a big fan of Wilkes. We 
We're able to see a lot of that, obviously, with the trade request from last year. He just did not want to be a part of that defense. And some of that makes sense because Wilkes was the head coach. He was the essentially direction and identity of that team moving forward. So in that essence, it's not like you can just fire the defensive coordinator and move on. He was having a problem with where the Cardinals were fundamentally. I don't know if that alone is what contributed to Steve Wilkes being let go, but I think that it was kind of the capstone of that was the, uh, this is this is kind of it for him moment when he had lost uh, in some games of the team, but had lost their star player. That was over. There hasn't been really anything that we've seen that has been like, oh yeah, I'm a Cardinal for life or pushing that. He's going to have some negotiations, but so. Uh, yeah, so I, and I think that the, uh, one of the things that we went back and wanted to talk about also was just going back through an old AQ Shipley interview with the, uh, was the, the punter, at least said for the Colts, Pat McAfee, he had AQ Shipley on and we were talking about Kingsbury about, it was, this was early into Kingsbury's career. This was just recently after they drafted Kyler Murray. And what he talked about, they said, it was like, hey, what, what's your opinion of this guy of Cliff versus the others? And he said, yeah, I just not a catchphrase guy. Like, I, I just don't really like, you know, the guys who are about, you know, like the catchphrases. And then you go out there and it's just you, you just don't really know what you're doing. He said Cliff just kind of came in, was treating everyone like adults. And he's very devoted. Said, Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and get it done. Essentially, you were proving it one way or the other. And so to me, John, it just brought up kind of some of that discussion, like you look at the the news John Gambadoro broke this week. I had an article, a lot of people comments, a lot of discussion on it, of the team yeah. potentially moving on from Josh Rosen regardless, which was interesting. They were targeting a guy like Daniel Jones, which was interesting oh, no. to me, which it's like that was only in a case of, hey, let's say that someone offers us three first-round picks and we're not going to end up taking Kyler Murray um, we don't have that decided yet. We're going to move back in the draft. It, it's kind of the, you prepare for almost every scenario just because you're not sure you may have, you, you never know if some team, like let's say, uh, decides to offer you the moon where you just can't say no. So they were like, all right, we've got our contingency plan. The contingency plan was, you know, even if we have to move on from Rosen and a lot of people I think were uh, in some cases upset to be able to see that. And I, I think it's because you are then questioning and frustrated and angry at how, you would have had to have missed on the original selection for that. And what my article kind of focused on was how much of that is applicable versus the ability to recognize that you've made, uh, you know, with even with Steve Wilkes made a mistake and then moving on, which they did with both Wilkes and with Rosen and brought in Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. And already you've seen the results of they've got as many wins now through week seven as they had all of last year, plus even a moral victory you could count in that first game against the Lions. So that's what I want to bring up in this discussion, John, kind of take a long lead in and kind of wrap it up, is how much of the credit here should we be assigning to Steve Kime and to the Cardinals organization for making the move, making the change, recognizing the mistake, versus how much should we be flaying them for essentially making the original mistake in the first place? What are some of your thoughts, at least, on that dichotomy? Well, I think we filleted them enough for that original mistake with with how they one identified rosen but not really because we knew they loved baker mayfield and josh allen and then felt pressured to, to trade up and get rosen just to take one after missing on mahomes and watson the year before and then butchering rosen's development giving essentially giving what we thought giving rosen away for a late second round pick i think we filleted them enough now what you've seen out of roughly a half a season is that the Cardinals made the right decision 
especially when you consider head coach. I think it's no question. I think we all knew Wilkes was not the answer. We, we had identified that and then they went with an unconventional choice. But the best thing that they could have done was they allowed him to basically say like, this is the quarterback I want because he, he best fits what I want to do. Um, and you're seeing that come to fruition right. and Kime deserves all the credit for that. I mean, he had conversations with Kingsbury back in December of last year and it was clear that Kingsbury, once he was brought in, made it adamant that I, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to maximize what I want to do and I'm going to get the most out of this unit and it's coming to fruition now, despite just, you know, any kind of quality talent at multiple right. positions if I'm going to do what I, I need to do in year one and moving forward, if we're going to be able to compete with the likes of Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and Russell Wilson, I need Kyler Murray. And that you're always going to be handicapped to some extent with a quarterback that's not Kyler Murray, a.k.a. Josh Rosen. I always thought, you know, you can tailor your offense around Rosen and, and it can be successful. And that's true. And I that was probably my biggest frustration with the process with Kingsbury is like you're this quarterback guru just coach him up coach him up but you know I wasn't seeing the big right. picture at the time that was in fact you know if you want to be able to have number one immediate success sustained mm -hmm. success and you have Super Bowl aspirations and you need to play that can elevate this roster immediately and that's what Murray has mm -hmm. done so yeah. I, I you don't want to get caught into a spot like you're talking about a team like we saw this with the Bears just this year where they've built everything around Mitchell Trubisky and he's just been letting them down. You also yep. take a look yeah, at... one good season where yep. you felt like he was elevated by his head coach. Exactly. Not sustainable. Whereas you want a player first overall. And that was the biggest thing with Rosen, Blake. We had always talked about where we, we thought he could be a good NFL quarterback, but he needed the pieces, right? Right. Murray Murray doesn't need the pieces if he's got. Yeah, exactly. Players. Yeah, and Rosen for his uh, for what it was worth, the three steps that he needed to take a step forward, and that we saw was um, just mentally being able to speed up the process. He just struggled to recognize the blitz for that; it was slow, as well as being able to make plays out of structure. He did improve some that we saw throughout the um, just throughout the rest of the season and uh, later aspects, but it was also just the aspect of being able to. Um, I guess by time in the pocket, being able to make plays and also being able to have full mastery of the offense in being able to make the throws and avoid turnovers. There was a lot of elements that in order to kind of achieve that step forward for the Cardinals, Josh had to take a lot of steps to get there first before you could consider him, you know, a good to average quarterback. And as a result right. of what the Cardinals have done without changing their offense much, Murray's play has been able to elevate a lot of the guys around him to where you don't have a number one wide receiver on this team. You've been missing Christian Kirk the last few weeks. You were missing David Johnson this last week, and still you're able to um, essentially be able to go on the road and um, get a well-earned and well-deserved win. So I think that you're – yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that you're right that we should look at this team and say, hey, like – Let's give the Cardinals the credit. Now, as far as when it comes to the rest of the other decisions, at least, that's kind of where I'll leave it up to you. What are, How much as far as do we have to give the credit versus, hey, let's move to an aspect of wondering where do we have to go moving forward as far as if it's you know, 2020, 2021. We even had some yeah. of that discussion around week four. Has any of that, do you think, changed for the Cardinals? Because for me, unless the team, I think, takes a – if it, it, it stays the same where it's consistent, you end up in kind of maybe that six to 10 win range, or if it takes a huge step forward, things are area, but how much of that is dependent? Do you think on the GM with what they're having and how much of it honestly 
should be at this point for the, for the most part because there's there's still been I think some disappointments that some fans may have with this team. I feel overall encouraged Ow, by what I've possible? seen, and I've, as I said I feel overall encouraged by where they've been for the most part. So and I hope that other fans who that are is, following this team are as not, well. If you're if you're disappointed with this team, you uh, you must be either a converted Sooner fan that just wants to follow Murray, or you are a first year Arizona Cardinal fan that think they've had you know immaculate success over the course of their history. Or you're they Steve Wilkes and of, really wanted to have more of those defensive games or something. Yeah. I, guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they were one of the worst teams in pro football history last year one of the worst offenses of the last 40 years statistically according to football outsiders they're top 10 offense now they didn't add anybody but the quarterback and the head coach uh, more so like top I, more like top 5 eh, for top 15 right now i believe in yards they're ranked they're at 18th top, i think they're 10 i think they're 10th aren't 10 and, they in, 10 in rushing oh, but not for yards I, yeah, part okay. of it's cuz the the game they had last week with murray only throwing for 100 yards it took kind of a step oh, back and then numbers. and don't forget there's bye weeks that are going to be coming in for teams but overall the team as you said went from essentially 32nd uh, 31st in almost every statistical category uh, almost across the board right now, to middle of the pack is a big step forward yeah. and what you'd love to see is that continue obviously for the Cardinals top because five in scoring drives yeah so that's like, the one think about like okay yeah they're not scoring a ton of touchdowns yet but they're top five with the Patriots with the Chiefs with all these all of these contending teams and then there's the lowly Arizona Cardinals with minimal talent and the first overall pick and a rookie head coach oh ho-hum we're just top five in scoring drives with the same same pieces as last year I mean, that, that is, in, in my opinion, that's incredible. And they're slowly creeping up in points per game, yards per game. Obviously, they're a top 10 rushing team now, which is unbelievable. So I, I just think everybody who is, for whatever reason, nitpicking or disappointed, I, I mean, like, if the Cardinals had won three games this year, that's an improvement just based off their statistics alone. If they somehow, Blake, get to, I think the, the goal should be and uh, you may feel differently based on the last three weeks, but the goal should be non-double-digit losses to end the season. So best case, I think the best case is six. It would be six, eight, and one. So essentially, if you if you include that tie as a default win, you're you're going to go seven and nine. So I, I think if they can get three more wins this year, that is phenomenal. I thought this season. At best, they'd be six and ten, but maybe four and twelve. If they can get to six, nine, and one, that is that is an unbelievable job by by Kingsbury, all things considered. Cardinals, in essence, um, went into three games when the goal that we said was hey to win two of them. They won third. So when you overachieve, I do think that in some cases the standard may be raised. Some of that also depends on the rest of the NFL. Like the first four games of the season, you talk about. A Lions team that looks like that they're in one of the toughest divisions, a Ravens team, which may be the number two without Patrick Mahomes, and then two difficult defenses in the Panthers and Seahawks. So that's where the perspective, I think, for me at least, is I think they've got the same type of goal, but just looking ahead at the schedule, after this Week 8 game, you've got probably the most unique stretch that I can think of at least. You have a game against the San Francisco 49ers Thursday night and Halloween, so you're on short rest after – the Saints games, so you're going to have a, a brutal road game. You come back home, at least. Fortunately, you are. The home team usually has an advantage. Um, the Niners, I believe, at least, are going to be coming off of a game for the Panthers. And then they're also going to be, I believe, playing um, 
the uh, yeah you you're the next team that they'll play. So you're gonna have a brutal game against a tough defense for both teams, and then come in on Thursday night, and then you really start a fascinating kind of a little uh, I guess you could say NFC West and out of division crawl where you play the Bruce Arians led Bucks, which has had trouble all over their defense and Jameis Winston's had quite a few turnovers you'll be there on the road that's kind of an 11 a.m. start and you're back again against the 49ers before your bye week so this is going to be uh kind of the most interesting stretch of the season John because there's a scenario where I could see that you maybe you could go I think if you could go two and two that would be excellent because you're talking about the two top teams in the NFC in three games <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a fourth against it, kind of almost even a Bruce Arians revenge game that's a road game for you. So that's where you're going to have – this is one of the interesting stretches of the season where if you can go two and two, then it's a huge step forward. Um, obviously, it depends on if you are – are you beating the Saints? Are you with Teddy Bridgewater? Is that where you can kind of sneak a win on a – maybe call it a trap game? Are you stealing one from the Niners? And then the Buccaneers game is going to be one where that will kind of test the metal, I think, of the team for are they really going to be moved out of the bad teams list? Or are we talking about, oh, they moved out of the top five. They're beating some of the worst teams, but they're more of a, you know, seven to 12 ranked team at least. They're just, they're not able to get past some of those tougher teams. So for me, my expectations that I have, at least for the most part, is I think that if you can do the same thing you said, kind of focus on kind of that six, eight, and one. But some of those games now stand out. You look at the Browns game with how much they've struggled. You feel like, okay, if they can beat these three teams, I feel like they should be able to you know, contend against that team in Week 15, especially if it's a last home game of the year. Previous week in Week 14, we're hoping that the Steelers game is against a backup quarterback. It should be. Hoping that's a win. And then the Rams, you're hoping that you can kind of steal one from the Rams this year with how they've just not looked like the same team. There's been right. issues that they've had. Maybe they've upgraded where suddenly things turn around, but you've just seen a lot of issues with Jared Goff in that passing game. And again, you'd love to see them be competitive. I don't know if you're going to demand a win, but you'd love to see them be competitive against the Seattle Seahawks on the road like they've been the last few years just to kind of keep that Cardinal tradition going. You don't want to see them suddenly lose and take a step back in that area. So I think my expectations, John, for the most part, if you look at that, that's counting about four more wins for the season, not just three. So that's where you are talking about a seven-win season or so. And if that's would the be case, unbelievable. So, so be it. As far as many people were predicting this to be, you know, the second-worst team in the league, go about three or four, maybe five wins at most. You would obviously be going over what the projected win total was for the team. I saw mock drafts before this season having the Cardinals, multiple mock drafts from – like legitimate national media outlets picking the Cardinals to have the first pick again and comparing them to the Browns of a couple seasons ago when they had like consecutive first overall picks. Like yeah, they, no, that's a no guys. That's, that's a no. That's, that's how bad they thought this team would be. Um, Miami is that bad. The Cardinals are not. The Cardinals are going to be picking somewhere potentially in the teens, uh, which is crazy. But at least uh, for now, before they play yeah. some of this schedule, like they went from 12th to 17th, like five spots in like one game because it's yeah, such a small sample size. And not, here's what I will say, Blake. I don't think they're going to go winless in the division. I think they'll get a division win somewhere, either at Seattle. We've seen them win there before. Granted, it was under Bruce Arians, um, and they played tough, Seattle tough last year in the finale. Um, I they've beaten the Niners every game since 2014. They haven't lost to the Niners since 2014. Now they might get smoked twice this year. I don't know, but that I mean, like 
that's a, that's a real statistic. And then they've gotten their brains beat in by the Rams the last how many years since they hired McVay. So I think that tide turns a little bit too. Um, so I, I think they get at least one uh, in-division victory. And then, like you mentioned, if they can just, you know, if they can beat maybe at Tampa and maybe the Browns at home, there's your three wins to, to avoid double-digit losses. That seems awfully, awfully doable considering that this team is now – since the uh, I believe since the Seahawks game where they put a uh, season low 10 points on the board where they looked really out of sync for the only time this season they are averaging just under 30 points over the course of the last three games and that's a recipe for success Blake that we have not seen in some time right yeah definitely agree there and that's where again this is a Saints team that still is one of the class of the NFC but We've seen with a backup quarterback they had, I think it was, what, four field goals against Dallas the other day. And now they did go out and put a uh, smoke the Bears, and part of that was they got off to a quick start with a safety. Their special teams unit has been very, very good. Um, a lot of it's going to be fascinating because uh, we can talk and switch about the actual matchup itself, but a lot of what the Saints do essentially flows through a wide receiver, Michael Thomas, who's leading the league, I believe, in receptions so far unless I'm totally mistaken on that one, but he's a phenomenal wide receiver. And then their defense has really picked up their play and being able to force turnovers, being able to hold teams back. And they also were built around Sean Payton, which is interesting because uh, he's kind of the closest comparison some people have given for a Cliff Kingsbury in terms of how he's been able to manage. He's had you know two running back systems in the past and has been very good at adapting with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I'm curious, John, because in this case, it feels like in a lot of sense, the Cardinals, in one case, you could say they're going up against a dominant offense with a defense that, just as we've seen, has not been able to hold teams back up until this Giants game. But on the other hand, you're also talking about, hey, now you've got Patrick Peterson able to match up against um, the likes of a Michael Thomas, and hopefully your edge rushers are starting to come on. So what are some of your thoughts of how do you think that this game will shape up for the Cardinals? Is this a, a team they can match up against in a difficult place to play uh, in the Superdome in Louisiana against the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, I think I think this game is going to be close, certainly closer than Vegas thinks, eight and a half point spread. Um, they, the New Orleans Saints, during this winning streak, which has been impressive by by Teddy Bridgewater, uh, they played some some layup teams. They got to play the Bucks, right? They got to play the Jaguars that, that they barely beat. They they got to play the Bears, who are just totally discombobulated at quarterback position. So it's not like they're facing the NFL elites. Now they they clipped off Seattle at Seattle, and they beat Dallas when Dallas was really that banged was the, up. That was the comeback game where Russell Wilson took them almost all the way back in like what was it the fourth quarter alone or something like that. That was yeah. I, I here's what I think is going to happen. And I, I, I could be totally off basis, but number one, okay, they're waiting on Drew Brees to come back. I think they hold him out one more week, right, till the bye. Because after the bye, you get Atlanta, who's quit at home on November mm. 10th. So the players, in my, and this is just me talking, I think are going to be looking ahead toward, toward the bye. Not necessarily getting Breeze back, but they're just going to be like, let's just get to the bye. It's a, and it's we a can, trap and we game. Can, right. It's the I've definition of I've lived through that, John. We had a game where 
one of the teams and the competitors when I was working for an arena team. They were undefeated up to that point. They had a game before the bye at, I believe it was on the road. They went over there on the road to that team, and it was a first-half complete blowout. They just benched their quarterback so he wouldn't get hurt. It was just the player's mindset was not in it, and it was it was a disappointment. But So you're saying that this could potentially be a trap game for the I Saints. I think it's a trap game. I think that this, this is them playing at home, think they got this locked up. They're going to coast into the bye. They're going to get Breeze back. They're going to hold him out. They may or may not hold out Kamara. He's been banged up, although I do I do think he plays. Um, I think the Cardinals come in undervalued, um, under the radar, even with three straight victories, and I think they make this close. I think they do match up well. You think about the quarterbacks that the they've been going against in recent weeks, especially during this winning streak. Jameis, who turns it over. Mitch, who turns it over. Minshew, who's a rookie and almost beat them. Um, Dallas, who was not playing particularly well with Prescott earlier, and then Russell Wilson came back. So I, I think this, outside of Russell Wilson, this is going to be, in my opinion, the, the best quarterback they've seen. Maybe Dak Prescott, but uh, I think that yeah. the, they have an opportunity, that, that being the Cardinals, I think they're going to be able to jump out to, a, to another lead this week. I think that they are – if you watch the Saints at the end of that Bears game – when they had the big lead, they got complacent. They almost gave up two consecutive onside kicks. The Bears scored two touchdowns late and, and made that game look look much closer than it was. I just think that they're, they're going to be sleeping on this Cardinal team right now. I could be totally wrong. They could get blown out. This is not the stereotypical. The Cardinals are going to New Orleans, and they're going to get railroaded by the Saints and Drew Brees. Number one, that's not what the Saints offense does anymore. They don't put right. up 50 points per game. Um, yeah, they've had a couple 30 point games this season, but they've had games where they scored 13 or 12 or nine. Um, so I think it's, it's going to be somewhere in between there. I think that the Cardinals, you know, they may hold them under 30, but I, I mm-hmm. do think the Cardinals are going to get theirs in this game. And I think it's going to be relatively close. I, I'm not going to pick them outright to win. I can't do it. I wish I could. Mm-hmm. I think, I think they end up losing as the saints just have too much depth, uh, too many great, you know, position position players and i think that they win somewhere in the vicinity of you know 30 to 24 and the cardinals maybe you know get sacked or throw a late interception or whatever trying to try but i think it's going to be neck and neck i think we're going to have some highlights um and i think i do think christian kirk plays this week by the way he was close last week i think this Mm -hmm. is the kind of conditions you'd want to bring him back in in the dome uh where he can really go off um and i think that that would be a big boost to this offense so I'm going to pick them to lose, but I think it's going to be close and it's going to be another game where hopefully everybody can take notice of this improving Cardinal team. Yeah, John, I think the uh, the biggest takeaway I have is that the Saints are not a team that essentially is able to really blow out opponents at this point. Like They were in the half, I think it was 12-10 or so, at least against the Bears. So you're talking about you know, they had a safety, a field goal, and a touchdown. I do think that the, the Saints and Cardinals could get off to a quick start. We'll have to see what Kingsbury does. The fact that they're in a dome makes me think he'll go back to pulling out some of the bag of tricks. Uh, it really does depend on how David Johnson looks, I think, will be a big difference. Because if you can get Johnson and Kirk back, I think that will help the passing offense tremendously. Because we got to see when both of those guys were out, um, they just the team was not able to separate their very few big plays overall. I think this is going to be a rough one for the defense just because of what we know, whether it's with the tight end or the positions. But I don't think that it's going to be a case of, you know, giving up 30 points like you, John. I view this as more of like I would probably say this is a 
I'm going to go with like 26 to, I'll say uh, 26 to a 20 type of game where I do think the Cardinals then may be able to, let's say, make it like 26-23 or 27-23, and then it comes down to an onside kick. Mostly because I just have a feeling that because of how they've been gelling, because of where the teams are at, I think that it's going to be close at the half. I think that this is one of those games where we've seen the Cardinals give up some of those leads in the second half. We've also seen some good offensive adjustments from Kingsbury. Uh, I just don't think this is a veteran team so much as a young team just yet. So I think the Saints will then end up kind of widen that gap a bit in the second half. And I think then it's going now, obviously I, I could be wrong here. Maybe this is a team where the Cardinals end up being a trap game and they're the ones who have it 26, 23 and gain confidence. But um, I just think there's too many weapons to hold everything back with that. And I think the offense is just not quite where it needs to be, especially, uh, especially if David Johnson's out for another week. So we'll see what happens there. I would think that this would be a game where it'll be a hard fought game. I still also like you do see the Cardinals losing, uh, and I'm very curious, though, to see if they do end up matching up and playing well with the Saints, or if it's a close game, or if it even turns into a, um, like, I, I can't really say that it'll be a shootout for the most part. I would love to see that, but that is the only other thing I could possibly see for this team is maybe you end up getting closer to the 30-point margin and you're able to keep it close. That will then at least be able to show you, hey, maybe this team... Uh, we're going to go into a nationally televised game against the Niners. That's going to be a huge test. This is kind of your warm-up game against a really good defense, I think, before people get to finally get back in and check in with these Cardinals and see what they're all about. Yeah, and I think it's a good it's good that the Cardinals were able to play the softer part of their schedule and, and rack up some wins and increase, hopefully, their confidence before going into this tougher stretch. I imagine how hard it would have been to open the season with this slew of games coming up and you really haven't been able to find your footing. They're playing their best football right now. And, and now you get a chance to test it against the NFL elite uh, and, and see where you stack up for not only this season, but the, but for the coming seasons. And so right. it, it's, it's setting up nicely for them to hopefully surprise the league may, may not be on the, on the, the win loss sheet, but in terms of notching their fourth consecutive <laughs> win. Yeah. But I, I will say, you know, I, I, I am much more optimistic um, following yeah, this four-game stretch. Get, get, get that game to OT. If you can get the Saints to OT, then that's already almost a win in my book as far as the moral victory just because of how good the Saints have been so far sure. this season. Um, I And it, it's hard to say because obviously at this point you would want to root for the team. And like we've said, if this is a trap game for the Saints, you should hopefully treat it as such. But well, this is one of the steps where it's nice to be able to be in a spot, John, where you've kind of – it's not that you've done everything that you set out to do not that you've accomplished pretty much everything. Obviously, this is a team that's still at 500, but by being able to make a statement over the last few weeks, I think what you're as long as you can ensure that you're you know avoiding the blowout, um, then I think a lot of fans at least will for the most part be uh, happy to be able to see the team continue to build on what they've already been doing over the past few weeks and over this past overall season, John. Absolutely, looking forward to it. Yep, me too as well. So uh, we'll be back at least next week. Um, we'll have to see. My guess is, for the most part, we haven't discussed it yet, but we'll see what we do as far as a quick show. Probably it'll be only one episode recapping the Saints game and then running right to a Niners preview will be most likely what will happen just because it's such a short week. Then we'll Unless have... Yeah, yeah, of course, exactly. Then there's going to be something where we'll kind of jump on for some of that. But then we've got a game against the... Um, we've got some fun stuff coming up at least overall throughout the bye week. Uh, we got some guests that should be able to join us, so that will be fun for some of that coverage. Just get a little bit outside of just the two of us normally talking will be fun. 
And uh, for the most part, that should just about wrap it up for us on this episode. So uh, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Spotify, um, TuneIn Radio as well. Um, I, I do know at least that you can also always find us on Revenge of the Birds or the at ROTB pod Twitter handle. Um, I do want to at least make sure that you guys are checking in and reading some of the content from some of our other writers on the site as well. There's a lot of great stuff, at least, that can be found. Um, speaking of the site, John, can you remind the listeners where you can be found at on Twitter and your content? Yeah, I'm at Johnny Touchdown on Twitter. Come and uh, let's have some verbal exchanges during during uh, game day and, and throughout <laughs> the week. I love doing that. Love interacting with the the folks who are just as diehard as we are, Blake. And then, of course, my content uh, from the written perspective can be found on RevengeOfTheBirds.com. Blake, where can they find your continued coverage of the team? Yeah, I'll be also on Revenge of the Birds and my Twitter handles at Blake Murphy Seven. I'm kind of in the weird spot of um, there's been enough uh, talk at least with Johnny where I think maybe I, I I think it's just that your takes are just too fire sometimes, bro. There's people who are just like whether Good. it's like either blocking or other stuff. I know we mentioned the parody account once or twice or so. Brilliant. Yeah, there's one of my one of my favorite ones I think I saw recently was like if Patrick Peters isn't and isn't traded before the deadline, I'll delete my account. And I was like, eh, bringing all of that back at least is great. I want it. I hope I hope there yeah. it's about twenty more parody accounts. Hey man, if you're, I'm not in this to be, um, you know, conservative, not politically, but just in general with my takes. Uh, I, I do this because I, I number one, I honestly believe what I'm saying. The number two is I want it to be ignite conversation i want it to be interesting so i'm all i'm yeah. all for that bring it bring on whatever you got yeah, yeah. want to have fun at least for all that one so i was going to say also if they uh if they do end up not trading peters you know well, maybe we have to hold that account to uh <laughs> try to hold it accountable as well or now nah, we need them around we need to keep them around oh <laughs> uh, no we love it at least for that one there so uh, always at least looking to have any type of conversation or discussion thanks again for listening in everyone so much uh, we'll be back with you next week hopefully we'll be talking about kind of a surprising cardinals win in a four and three and one team at least is what we're hoping for um if we don't get that then we'll be able to go and see where the team will take us next from there thanks again so much for tuning in everyone as always go Cardinals.